I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. We've made it all the way to Matthew chapter 13. We started this trek, here's a little trivia for you, we started this trek of following Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew 365 days ago on December 10th, 2017. But we've kind of taken it slow and we've taken a lot of breaks along the way for various reasons so that we've only had 33 messages in this series. And we've only made it up to the first verse of chapter 13, not quite halfway. We're picking up steam now, however, so I expect that sometime in 2019 we may finish the whole thing. Chapter 13 marks a new section in the Gospel of Matthew. You remember I have told you that there are five major blocks of teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So far we've gone through two of them. What was the first major block of teaching? The Sermon on the Mount. Arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew's five, chapters 5, 6, and 7, which we spent a lot of time on back in uh, spring and early summer. Jesus taught about his upside-down and inside-out kingdom. The second major block of Jesus' teaching was in Matthew chapter 10, often called the mission discourse or the major teaching on missions and the mission of making disciples for King Jesus through the gospel of the kingdom, still on that kingdom theme, but on a missions theme in the kingdom. Well, chapter 13 contains the third major block of Jesus' teaching in the gospel of Matthew. It is also about the kingdom, but this teaching in chapter 13 is delivered primarily through parables. We could call this whole section the parabolic discourse or Jesus' parables of the kingdom. That's chapter 13 in a nutshell. Jesus' parables of the kingdom. Jesus used parables elsewhere in the Gospels. We saw one just last week, the, the story about the, the demon that left the house and it got all cleaned up and then seven or eight came back and and lived in it. He, he uses parables elsewhere. But here, a whole bunch of these parables are concentrated all in one place. Parables of the kingdom. And particularly, parables about how the kingdom is coming now. Which in some ways is secretly, quietly, hiddenly. We're just saying, how quietly, how quietly. Stealthily, undercover, progressively. Let me ask you a trick question. Has the kingdom come? Yes and no, right? Yes, the kingdom has come because the king has come. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. How many times have we heard that in the Gospel of Matthew? And yet at the same time, the kingdom has not yet come in all of its fullness. This is not as good as it gets. This chapter is all about how the kingdom is sneaking in, showing up taking root, growing. It's still coming, and it's coming right now. And this chapter is about how the kingdom is arriving even as we speak and what we can expect as it comes. Now, one thing you might not have expected about the kingdom of heaven is that many people would reject it. Wouldn't have thought of that. You might think that everybody would love to welcome the kingdom of God. Hey, it sounds great. Bring the kingdom, that's wonderful. But that's not what happened, is it? 
The last several weeks, we've seen how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and many others of the Jewish people were rejecting Jesus and rejecting the kingdom that he claimed to bring. Now, they didn't, they didn't say that. They would never say they were rejecting the kingdom, but that's, in fact, what they were actually doing. It started out as fairly minor opposition, and then it just grew and grew and grew. It's reached the boiling point now where they're looking for a way to kill Jesus. That's the ultimate rejection of the kingdom, isn't it? And they are publicly saying that Jesus is either the prince of demons, or at least in league with him. So last week, Jesus called them this wicked generation. He claimed that they had snake hearts, that they were part of a snake family, and that they were going to end up in a worse condition than they had started because they would not receive the kingdom. They would not receive King Jesus. They were rejecting the kingdom of heaven, and there were many people who joined them. And there were some people who were fairly undecided. Jesus says that you're either in or out, either with him or against him. There is no fence. But there are plenty of people on the outside looking in, trying to make up their minds. In the very last few verses of chapter 12, even his mother Mary and Jesus' brothers were briefly on the outside. I think that one of the reasons the Lord gave us Matthew chapter 13 is to explain this phenomenon. How do you process this wide-scale rejection of the kingdom of heaven and its king? It's in this context, Matthew says on this very same day, that Jesus begins teaching many things in parables. Let's read the first three verses and then pray together. Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've sung it all. Glorious truth. We've we've heard it read to us. We've, We've been thinking about this kingdom and its coming in Christ, the advent, the birthday of a king. Now, Lord, help us to focus in on what this king was teaching when he taught them many parables. Help us, Lord, to get it. We pray this in the name of this king. Amen. He told them many things in parables. Do you know what a parable is? We learned about parables back in 2017 during Family Bible Week. The adult class learned to say that parables are stories with what? Stories with a shove, right? Stories with a shove. Often Jesus' parables end with a twist, an unexpected ending that catches the hearer off guard. They are comparison narratives, often told with familiar objects and aiming for application. Stories with a shove. In these stories, things don't often turn out as expected. And the story ends up pointing the finger back at you. You're, you're, you're listening to the story. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay. And all of a sudden, oh, he's talking about me. Right? Ever get hit with one of those? I think that this reflects the upside-down nature of Jesus' kingdom. It's not what you might expect. Stories with a twist and stories with a shove. Jesus was a master storyteller. And he loved using parables. 
Another word for parable could be riddle. Parables often take some figuring out to understand, especially how that story relates to our lives. There's a a puzzle nature. Whenever I think of puzzle, I hold a Rubik's Cube in my hand. You can see the Rubik's Cube here. There's There's a puzzle nature to a parable. You have to chew on them for a little while. You have to think about them until the riddle unlocks, and then you get it. I want to use those two words, get it, as a question for the title of today's message on verses 1 through 23. Do you get it? A couple of days ago, I told to Heather Joy what I thought was a very, very funny joke. You can see where this is going, can't you? And she just gave me this blank look. And I'm like, wait, 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 let me repeat the punchline, you know? And I land the punchline on her again. And she's like, oh, that was a joke. I don't get it. And so then I'm like trying to explain the joke to her. And you know when you have to explain the joke, it probably wasn't that funny of a joke in the first place. And she's like, yeah, let's just drop it. Okay. I think this passage is all about answering the question, do you get it? And that's why it's full of parables. Jesus, teaching before a great crowd from an aquatic amphitheater, begins with a parable. It's very familiar. You probably all know it. And what I want you to do right now is wipe your mind clean. I want you to pretend that you've never heard this story before. Okay, You probably know it, so pretend you don't. Pretend you don't know anything in this story, what it is or what it means. Can you do that just for a second? Let me read it to you, verses 3 through 9. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, do you get it? He who has ears, let him hear. Get it? Now, you're pretending that you've never heard this one before. You never went to Family Bible Week. You never had, you're never in the, in the kids' classes where they had little cups of soil with rocks and weeds and stuff in there. And they checked their plants every day of Family Bible Week to see if anything came up. All you know is that Jesus just told this story. Imagine if you're in the crowd and you just hear that story. And you're like, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I get it. There's this farmer who's broadcast spreading his seed, as farmers in these days did. And the seed landed on four different kinds of soil. Three kinds that performed badly, and one kind that performed way beyond expectation. A bumper crop in Israel would be one plant producing 10 or 15 more, but making 30 or 60 or 100 times. 
That is phenomenal. So do you get it? There's a kind of riddle or puzzle kind of feel to it, isn't there? We don't know what the point is yet. We, we need some more help. And even if we did understand, we might not like it. We might not receive it once we figure out that it's pointing at us. This is actually a parable about parables. And the disciples, they, they pick up on that. Look at verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? What, what, do, what do you think is the answer to that? I might guess that it was to make things easy for people to understand. They're, they're kind of like sermon illustrations, right? Like my story about that great joke that Heather didn't get. Everybody knows that kind of experience. And Jesus used things that everybody knew. Well, that's part of it. But there's another part to it that you might not expect. Look at verse 11. He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's quite a sentence. The disciples have been given something that the other people do not have. They have, he calls it, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they get it. The riddle is plain to them. It's unlocked. They're on the inside track. They have entered into the mysteries and possessed them. They know the secret. The riddle is plain to them. And specifically, the secrets of what? The kingdom of heaven. Jesus loves to talk about the kingdom. It's his favorite subject. They get it. Now stay with me. Remember, what question is Jesus answering here? He's answering, why do you speak to the people in parables? Go on to verse 12. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, that confuses me just about every time I read it. But the idea is actually pretty simple. Jesus says that he uses parables because they're the perfect genre to both reveal and conceal the kingdom. To both reveal the kingdom and to conceal the kingdom. To reveal it to some people and to conceal it from others. Jesus says he uses parables because they're the perfect kind of story to both reveal and conceal the kingdom. Now, I don't think it's actually because they are sometimes hard to understand for some people that Jesus is hiding things that some people just can't get. I think it's because they are like that, that it's appropriate or fitting to use them because that's what the spiritual content of Jesus' teaching is like for people. Some people get it, and some people don't get it. And that's what it's like with Jesus' teaching about the kingdom too. Some people get it, and other people don't get it. Now, now hear me right. 
This is what Isaiah brings into it. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6 here. And the point he's making by quoting Isaiah 6 is that some people don't get the kingdom because they don't want to get the kingdom. They've rejected the kingdom. They've rejected the king. Now, they would never say that, but that is in fact what they've done. And here is the punishment for rejecting the kingdom. You don't get the kingdom. You don't get it. So it's really perfect to use stories where someone might say, I don't get it, to illustrate that very fact. Are you with me? What were the Pharisees saying when Jesus was saying that he was the king of Israel? This is a direct quote. La, 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 I'm not listening. Right? What were they saying when Jesus offered rest for their souls? I don't get it. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't sound right to me. And Jesus said, okay, let me tell you a story. You see, these, these parables were judgments for those who were rejecting King Jesus. And yet at the same time, they were blessings for those who were receiving him. Look at verse 16. Don't miss verse 16. It's one of the key verses in this chapter. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. How blessed you are. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Do you realize how blessed you are? I have three points of application this morning, and here's number one. Rejoice if you get it. I mean spiritually. Rejoice if your eyes spiritually see the kingdom. Rejoice if your spiritual ears have heard the kingdom. Rejoice if you know and understand the kingdom of heaven in Jesus. How blessed you are. Listen again. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? He's talking about the, the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament how the Old Testament predicted the kingdom, predicted the king, predicted the Messiah, predicted the advent of the Christ. But they never saw it. Isaiah never saw it. Jeremiah never saw it. Hosea never saw it. Malachi never saw it. But you guys, you've seen it. You know that his name is Jesus. Rejoice that you get the kingdom because you've gotten the king. We just sang, O little town of Bethlehem, right? It was the last one we sang. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And the disciples have eyes to see and ears to hear. They get it. But the Pharisees, they looked at the same facts, the same Jesus, and they rejected it all. They listened to the same parable, and they came up with a different interpretation. Application point number two. Repent if you don't get it. Repent if you don't get it. The Pharisees needed to get their fingers out of their ears. 
They were in danger of the unforgivable sin, of completely rejecting the witness of the Spirit in the person of the Son, of completely rejecting Jesus. They didn't get it because they didn't want to get it. And the punishment would be more not getting it. And that's a warning to us today to repent while you still can. And that's the application of Jesus' parable of the sower. In verse 18, Jesus begins to explain it. Look at verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now stop there for a second. Jesus tells us the meaning of the parable. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he leaves it for us to to figure out. Here he gives us the answer key. He does not tell us who the sower is. It could be Jesus himself. I think that's actually likely in this context as he explains the kingdom. Here are the responses that are coming back. But it could be any gospel preacher, anybody who shares the gospel of the kingdom with somebody else. It could even be applied to you and me as spreaders of the seed of the gospel. doesn't say so, but that's probably not, uh, so that's probably not the point. It does say what the seed is. What is the seed? What does it say? The message or the word of the kingdom. That's the seed. Now, is the seed good or bad or mixed? That was a trick question. The answer is good, right? It wasn't a yes or no question. It wasn't a mixed question. It was a good. Unlike my bad jokes, if you don't get this seed, the problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. And the soil in this parable is four different kinds of people. It's actually just two different kinds of people. Those who don't get it, And there's at least three kinds of them. And those who do get it. And they're the kinds of people Jesus wants us to be. The first kind of soil is the kind on the path where the birds of the air came in and and ate it right up. Jesus says that they hear the message of the kingdom, the seed, and they don't get it. They don't understand. And the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. Now don't blame Satan for this one. He's involved, but he's not the main problem. These folks are the folks from Isaiah 6. They don't get it because they don't want to get it. And that makes Satan so happy. They're not just dumb. They're foolish in the proverbial sense of the word. A fool says in his heart what? There is no God. There is no kingdom. The fool says in his heart, Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not the Son of, the God, Son of God. I, I don't believe it. I don't get it. If that's you, I'm scared for you. Jesus calls you to repent while you still can. If you still can. The second and third kind of person seems like they get it. But then they show that they didn't really get it. Look at verse 20. 
The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, remember that thin soil, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Don't let this be you either. I've seen people like this. They say, I like the sound of that when they hear the gospel. Maybe they raise their hand or they go forward in an evangelistic meeting. Maybe they begin to attend church regularly. But then it becomes a little hard to follow Jesus, to live as a citizen of his kingdom, realize what it means to follow. And then they aren't so sure. You know, when people begin to laugh at you, when you start to get a little taste of persecution, when, when your paycheck doesn't come, when, when they're trolling you on social media, when your friends give up on you because you're getting serious about this kingdom, then you're not so sure. And before you know it, you're no different than you were before. This is a warning. Jesus is asking us to check out the state of our hearts and to make sure that we're real. The third one is one that we see the most in our affluent, comfortable American culture. Look at verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Again, at first they seem like they're disciples of the kingdom, but then life happens. Stuff happens. The weeds of worry and the weeds of wealth choke the message of the kingdom, just making ends meet. Just getting by, just making a buck, just making a living, just trying to get ahead. And money becomes the replacement for Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about worry and what Jesus said about money in the Sermon on the Mount? Go back this afternoon and read chapter 6. Worry and greed can keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. Because in time you show that you just you don't get it. Jesus says you can only have one master. How do you know if you do get it? How can you show it and prove it? Verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Number three and last. Bear fruit to show you get it. Now, I almost made that one replicate, right? Re, uh, rejoice, repent, replicate. But uh, what did that mean? Jesus says that those who get it bear fruit and produce an abundant crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. If you get it, it'll show in your life. You can't make it happen on your own. You're not like, grow, grow, grow. But if you get it, it changes you from the inside out. What does this fruit look like? It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It looks like it looks like living out what we learned in the Sermon on the Mount, upside down and inside out, the good life, the flourishing life as a disciple. It looks like going out on mission for Jesus, taking the gospel of the kingdom to those who need it most. It looks like resting and trusting in the King of Rest. It looks like you get it. Because your life has changed. 
I'm excited that in just a few minutes on our meeting this morning, we not only get to affirm a new set of officers and an operating budget for 2019, but we also get to affirm three new members whose lives have been changed by following Jesus. They get it, and it shows. And we all get to rejoice.